0: Welcome to Value-Based Care Insights, brought to you by Lumina Health Partners, a national healthcare consulting firm focused on improving the strategic, financial, and operational performance of provider organizations. On this program, we will explore trends and share valuable insights on how health systems and medical groups can optimize their performance to meet the demands of this increasingly complex healthcare environment and shift to transform the delivery of care. Value-Based Care Insights is hosted by Daniel Marino, Managing Partner of Lumina Health Partners. Daniel has been in the industry for over three decades and specializes in shaping strategic initiatives for organizations in areas such as population health, clinical integration, physician alignment, information technology, and data analytics. For additional insights, visit luminahp.com and sign up for our newsletter. Dan, over to you.
1: Welcome to Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. In today's episode, we're going to talk about value-based enterprises. It's an interesting concept, which has really gained more and more traction probably over the last year, year and a half or so, but still is a fairly unknown concept, if you will. How this really has has developed... It really has followed along what many provider organizations have done in creating their integrated provider networks, really trying to pull together their employed physicians with their independent providers and so forth. And as many healthcare leaders know, that can be a little touchy. And it's touchy because there's a lot of requirements around Stark laws, around the anti-kickback statutes that really restrict how we can compensate providers in a sort of a non-clinically integrated environment. As we move into value-based care, our ability to reward physicians based on their performance, their clinical performance, is going to absolutely be critical. Well, back in January 2021, CMS recognized this, and they put forth a new provision that allowed for Um, the creation of these value-based enterprises, which, again, aligns our ability to reward physicians properly, but has to be done in a manner that meets a lot of these requirements. And if we're able to do that, then it allows us to relax even further some of the stark regulations and and some of the anti-kickback activities. Well, happy to introduce today two gentlemen, extremely knowledgeable in value-based enterprises. Jim Carr and Luis Agueso, they are from InHealth Advisors. In Health Advisors is an advisory firm that specializes in developing compensation models and other strategies for providers in the value-based care world, uh, certainly an area that's near and dear to my heart. Luis, Jim, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you for having us. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having us.
1: So Luis, maybe we can start with you. Um, What is a value-based enterprise? And and sort of give us a little history. How did this come to be?
2: Yeah, excellent question, Dan. So one of the places I like to start is with three big statistics. Uh, I think they really tell the story. The first is the life expectancy within the United States. If you look at how we rank internationally, the United States is around 54th when it comes to life expectancy. But given that life expectancy, the United States is by far spending more per capita on healthcare than any other country in the world. So it's clear that we have a lot of room for improvement when it comes to the value of of the healthcare dollars we're spending. Uh, in addition, you've got the fact that by 2028, the Medicare Part A trust fund is anticipated to be depleted, so we have limited time to kind of fix our problems. And then on top of that, if you look at surveys nowadays and you, that, that rank um, providers and how they feel about the work that they're doing, physicians and advanced practice professionals, a, a recent survey done by Bain indicated that 25% of clinicians were considering leaving the practice of medicine due to burnout. And so we have what is basically a lose-lose-lose proposition where we're spending too much, patients aren't getting good health, and providers are not happy with the care that they're providing. So the value-based enterprise, as you mentioned, was really the concept that CMS brought to the table to try to create a win-win-win healthcare system whereby patients were better off, spending was contained, and providers were doing the types of things that they went to medical school to do to begin with. So it right. kind,
1: of, kind of gets them back to the core, right, as to, like you said, why they got into medical school and, and really focusing on, on patient care. So so Jim, when, when we look at VBEs, um, value-based enterprises, how does this differ with clinically integrated networks, the CINs that have been developed, or even the ACOs that are out there, is it one and the same? Is is it a different type of a a structure or an entity?
3: Great question, Dan. So the the VBE is a different type of entity, um, but it could very well be one and the same as well. There is a tremendous amount of flexibility with a VBE. And so, you know, I think of ACOs and CINs, and I think of large organizations structured around contracts, dozens of different providers, um, and, and a VBE can be that too. Um, but a VBE also could be as simple as two providers entering into an arrangement that has a value-based purpose. And so the, the VBE concept really is all-encompassing of anything from just a provider-to-provider contract, all the way up to a CIN.
1: So when we think about moving forward with a VBE, how does it typically align with some type of, say, a a value-based contract or some type of payer relationship?
2: Uh, A great, great, great question, Dan. The the building block to that is uh, with the degree of risk that the value-based enterprise takes on. um, On the provider side, the degree of risk that their compensation is exposed to, and um, on the uh, enterprise level, the degree of risk they're exposed to with payers. And so what Medicare did to attract people to the concept of the value-based enterprise is they afforded an increasing degree of flexibility and uh, essentially uh, protections against uh, existing regulatory frameworks by taking on more risk. So if an organization was willing to, say, be at full risk with a payer, uh, say, take on a capitated contract, and the provider's compensation was aligned with that, they were paid, uh, let's say, based on the panel of size of patients that they managed, then the value-based enterprise would allow For example, the organization to develop a compensation structure that, assuming the other conditions are met, did not have to uh, demonstrate that it was consistent with fair market value, which has been a constraint that's held back a lot of organizations with developing compensation plans that really incentivize providers to deliver value rather than volume.
1: Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. This has been a, a major issue, especially when you think about the compensation, the incentive plans. Um, to, to compensated providers and, and how it relates to fair market value. I can remember about four or five years ago, I was working with the primary care group and they did um, an extremely good job on managing their outcomes. And they actually received about 110, 120% of their incentive bonus coming back from the providers. Well, when that incorporated it into their incentive plan and what they were paying the providers it actually put them over the top of what was considered fair market value. And so, so of course, you could imagine the leadership team, they were concerned about this. Last thing you want is the OAG knocking on your door saying, oh my God, you're paying your providers too much. How does that, how does the VBE structure then help kind of guide it, get us past that?
3: So Dan, if you structure a VBE correctly and you are, Accomplishing a value-based purpose, um, CMS and and OIG concluded that effectively what you're doing is removing the incentives to over refer or over utilize, if you will. And so um, they felt like that was a sufficient safeguard to remove some of the protections that had historically existed in the Stark law and the anti kickback statute. And really, you know, they felt like. The way that that Stark and Anna Kickback had been constructed were really based around a fee-for-service environment. Yeah.
1: And they were well, really- and I think it was too, right? I mean, yeah, you know, absolutely. you saw that in in the in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, where a lot of hospitals were providing these incentives to the physicians you know, particularly in surgery areas, right? To recruit them back to, to, to into their organs and they paid for their referrals. So clearly that was something that was going on.
3: Yep. And so the idea was, hey, if, if we remove those incentives, then we don't need these protections anymore. And so that opened up the flexibility and, you know, the more risk that a VBE is willing to take on, the more flexibility it has, as Luis
1: mentioned. And so that's sort of the beauty of the framework. Right. So, so Luis, when we think about this, then, clearly, you have to be able to um, have some type of clinical guidelines in place, you have to be able to measure the outcomes, you have to be able to hold your physicians accountable, right? Are, are you seeing all of those same elements included in a in incentive design compensation model um, for VBEs, as you would include in a CIN or, or within an ACO?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, The framework that they used for the value-based enterprise was informed by their experience with CINs and ACOs. And so I'll use the terminology that they use for VBEs. Essentially, what the VBE has to do is demonstrate that it's achieving a value-based purpose and you do that, you demonstrate that by um, requiring the providers to engage in what are called value based activities. So, um, value based purposes include things like um, controlling the increase or, or overall cost of care, improving quality, coordinating and managing care. And you do that by having the providers take actions, like, for example, um, providing an item of service, taking an action, or refraining from taking an action that's how they define it within the VBE construct. So those terms are all pretty vague. They're, they're all pretty, they're not very specific. They afford a lot of flexibility. And so as long as you can demonstrate that you're engaging in bona fide value-based purposes and, and doing so through value-based activities, then you've kind of laid the foundation for uh, an arrangement that meets the, that, that corrects for the perverse incentives and, and fee-for-service that uh, Jim mentioned.
1: So when you when you really when you think about that value-based purpose, right? And it's really aligned with the triple aim, if you will, right? Yes. Or in some yes. cases the quadruple aim, where yep. you talk about um, improved or better outcomes for patients, better patient experience, lower cost. And if you include the fourth one in there, then you know a a, a better situation, better experience for for the physicians. But what I'm hearing you say is that's fine and good, but where the rubber hits the road is really around those clinical protocols and your ability to be able to measure that, right? So measure the performance, um, track and measure the performance of say, you know, the patients with chronic diseases, such as diabetes, and how they're performing with that. And if they're able to meet some of those standards, and if they are aligned with the contract, then that's how you build some financial incentive
2: and it, there, there really is just an immense amount of flexibility. So while there are existing excellent metrics that are out there, uh, clinically supported, some explicitly promoted by CMS, say your MIPS metrics, there is flexibility where if an organization feels like they've stumbled on what they think is you know the right way to um, measure quality or value of care for a patient, if they can show that it's achieving those value-based purposes that I mentioned, then that can certainly be a component of how the payment is structured Within the value based enterprise. So, there's, there's, it they really made the value based enterprises very flexible. And we see that kind of as a, as a hurdle for adoption because people um, can be overwhelmed and say, can sure. I really be doing this? But, right. um, but the yeah. intent behind that flexibility was to be to allow for the private industry to really step up and say, look, you've given us this framework, and here's how we're going to put it to use to really create that win 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 healthcare system.
1: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. I'm talking today with Jim Carr and Luis Agueso from Insight Advisors, and, and we're discussing value-based enterprises and really the, the opportunities they afford to, to healthcare providers. Um, so Jim, when, when we're thinking about setting up these VBEs, is this um is it focused on just independent providers and building that independent network and aligning with, say, the hospital entity? Or is there is it greater than that? Is the, is it the ability to really integrate both employed physicians and the employed physician network and the independent network?
3: Yeah, Dan, this is another area where I feel like the the flexibility of VBEs really shines through the Um, the construct really isn't targeted at any one particular group. And so you could have a VBE composed entirely of employed physicians. You could have a VBE composed entirely of independent physicians or or a mix of the two. And so Mm -hmm. um, it's a really uh, broad-based unifying concept, I think, that really allows you to target very specific conditions, very specific groups, or very specific alignment problems um, that you're you're trying to solve.
1: Do do you need to create, so I'm very familiar with ACOs. um, And of course that that needs to be a separate legal entity and separate governance structure as is clinically integrated networks, right? It's a separate entity and typically a separate legal structure. Although they could be hundred percent owned by a hospital they need to be hundred percent led by by physicians and have a, a governance model that supports it. What is the structure for VBEs look like?
3: So this is an area where, again, uh, you know, I think I, I would applaud the folks at, at CMS and OIG for all the flexibility they have allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, there is not a defined construct that has to be met. Uh, there has to be a, a governing document for the VBE, but that could be as simple as a contract or it could be as complex as you know, a governing document for a CIN or an ACO. Um, the, there has to be an accountable person or an accountable body. And again, that could be a single person that oversees that contract or it could be a governing body like you have for an ACO. So again, the gamut uh, of flexibility allowed is tremendous and a VBE can be morphed to be something very simple to something very complex
1: but the VBE does hold the contract with the payer though right so when you think about a fund flow that the the flow of funds the incentives that come from the payer does it flow into the VBE and then it's distributed to the to the participating providers based on their performance or is it is is the VBE just a a network that then has to align with some other entity in order to support the the flow of funds and the contracting.
3: So in a continuing theme that we've had going on today, it's both. Um, You could actually structure it so that the VBE is the contracting entity, much like you would do with an ACO or CIN. Um, But you could also have a VBE where just a hospital or just a single provider is contracted with the payer and that particular provider is in a value-based arrangement and in a value-based enterprise with another provider or another group of providers. Does
1: that make right. sense? Yeah. I, I always find it interesting how either C CM, uh, CMS or even the FTC is very vague in defining what it is per se. I'd
2: add a caveat to that, Dan. Um, if you if you read through the actual commentary to the. Um, uh, that, that CIGS and CIC, CMS, excuse me, and OIG put forth um, regarding these entities, they, del- they were very deliberate and not being very explicit about how these types of entities could be structured because they did not want to be a hindrance to innovation in the industry. So definitely your point stands. Um, there's it, it, because there aren't clear rules that can oftentimes act as a deterrent. But I think it was helpful that if you look at the regulatory record, what they're saying is, we are allowing these flexibilities and we're intentionally doing it because we know that to innovate in healthcare, we cannot handcuff organizations too, too substantially.
1: Right, right. So so if, if I'm following correctly, there's a progression that that healthcare leaders need to take. right? If they're gonna be thinking about moving forward with a value-based enterprise, And and to your point, Luis, I think the first is really defining the purpose, right? Why do you want to do this? And what is the population to a certain extent that your VBE is is really going to to address, right, to manage, you know, in terms of of, of that care Um, and and really what the end goal is, right? So I think the end goal should be around achieving the goals of, of the triple aim, but I think it also has to go further than that. I think it has to really focus on making efficiencies in the care delivery model and changing that care delivery model, frankly, and then creating that right financial incentive so you're able to really align your providers around the end goal.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's let's take a, an example. In, in the fee-for-service world, you've got a provider that traditionally is going to be paid based on work hard but there are a lot of specialties out there where providers need to be spending more time with their patients. They want to be spending more time with their patients, but they know if they do that, they're going to be missing out on compensation. And so what the value-based enterprise was introduced to do was give a lot of those specialties, specialties the ability to have compensation arrangements that rewarded them for spending that extra time with those patients um, that really wanted them to focus on delivering that better value care to those patients. And the the carrot that they that they used as a result of that was they said, look, we understand that if you've structured this appropriately and you are really trying to improve the value of care for your patient, we're not going to you know, limit you and say, because this provider earned, you know, above the 90th percentile compensation, because they were there, you know, they saw a lot of patients, they provided high value care to those patients, they saved money on the side of payers, they're not going to say, no, that's not allowed. They're recognizing that that provider is being rewarded for doing what we want providers in the healthcare industry to do, which is to deliver healthcare efficiently and of high quality.
1: Right. And, and I think you do that to your point by looking at, certainly the compensation model, right? Mm -hmm. I say all the time, form follows function. You need to have the right structure in place that creates the right behaviors that we want to to achieve. Um, So that becomes really important, but I keep getting back to the fact that you also need to have some level of a contract, right? Something has to fund the financial incentives, so you're able to create that, that level of performance that you really want. So if provider organizations are interested in establishing a VBE, what are some of the initial steps? Jim, what have you seen as, as, you're, as you're working with organizations to kind of launch them into a, a VBE situation?
3: Yeah, You know, really the first thing that we see, Dan, is sort of this decision to say, we need to do something different. And it's because I've got different contracts coming down the path. I have a, a group of providers that is dissatisfied with the way they're practicing medicine and, and, and the constraints around that, um, that we're not doing a good job of providing equitable care to the community or some combination of all of those factors and kind of recognizing that you need to solve those factors and the ability of the VBE to kind of help you do all of those things at mm-hmm. once is a right. beautiful construct. And so um, that's, that's really the impetus that we're, we're seeing amongst providers who are reaching out and starting to think about how to develop a VBE is how do we do things differently to position ourselves to succeed healthcare in the future?
1: Yeah, kind of creating that new vision right where, Absolutely. How, how do we want to, how do we want to change things. So, so Luis when, when you're talking to physicians, though, about participating in, in this. Um, what's required for them or, or, as I say all the time, you know wh- what's what's the with them right what's in it for me principle for uh, for physicians.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, me personally, my, my dad's a surgeon. So uh, of, of the physician specialty types, um, you know, I grew up hearing from someone that uh, that worked very much in that. Yeah, you're speaking
1: from the heart on this one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, I've always worked with health systems. So I've, I've always been plopped in the middle and, and had to kind of uh, negotiate both perspectives. But I think there's a lot in it for the physician, um, in addition to obviously the flexibilities that an organization has, if they don't have to demonstrate fair market value. What this does for a physician is it also creates a construct for delivering medicine that aligns with, as I mentioned earlier, what they got into the specialties that they get into to begin with. They want to deliver good care for patients. And um, they need physicians need to be able to see how that good care that they're doing is going to translate to you know financial reward to them and the VBE structure is one that because of the flexibilities that it allows there's a lot of different ways that you can do it do that and you can cater to a lot of different types of uh, physician populations in terms of uh, their preferences for practice in terms of their preferences for work-life balance that sort of thing so um, the what's in it for them is The the, the overall model is aligned to practicing medicine in a way that you're spending more time with patients, not having to focus on that, uh, fee-for-service fee for churn that can really burn out providers. And especially given kind of constraints with uh, uh, physician workforce, it's a model that really allows you to leverage care team models, really allows yeah. you to pull in uh, provide uh, non-medical non, uh, providers to really augment what you're doing and reward you for how effectively you're deploying that type of staff. So there's really a lot in it for physicians. Yeah.
1: Well, Luis, Jim, this has been fantastic. Again, I'm here with Luis Agueso and and Jim Carr from InHealth Advisors, and really want to appreciate. I want to thank you for both of of your time today. I really appreciate the time that you've given and, and helping to uh, explain and discuss this with our audience. I know that this is a an area of of a big importance, especially as organizations continue to move um, into value based care and and really align with their providers. A, a critically important concept. If any of our listeners today are, are interested in learning more or, or connecting with the both of you, um, you, provide your email address or maybe a contact information or, or how would they get a hold of you?
2: Sure. They're, they're free to visit our website. We have a very handy uh, contact form on our uh, front page. The website is inhealthadvisors.com, inhealth. Advisors.com, I-N-H-E-L-T-H, advisors.com. Um, or people can feel free to reach out to us. Um, our emails are, are easy. It's our first names, Luis, L-U-I-S, and Jim, J-I-M, at inhealthadvisors.com.
1: Great. Thanks, Jim.
3: Thank you, Dan. Really enjoyed being with you today. Thanks for the conversation.
1: I want to again thank you both. I really I appreciate it. And I want to thank our listeners for again listening to another episode of Value Based Care Insights. Until the next insight, I'm your host, Daniel Marino, bringing you 30 minutes of value to your day. Take care.
0: Are you at a crossroad with value based care? Do you need to chart a future strategy? or improve your organization's performance? Visit us at lumina.hp.com to learn more about our professional advisory services and leadership development programs. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter on our website and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. To connect with Daniel Marino or for more information about the show, visit our website or healthcarenowradio.com. Join this conversation using our hashtag BBC Insights. We are Lumina Health Partners. Thank you for joining us today. Until the next value-based care insight, stay well.